Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 169. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I want to thank you for being here and taking some time and listening to this podcast. Now, I recently just got back from the AMSA Pre-Med Fest conference at Texas A&M, and it was a blast. I met a ton of you in person who listened to this podcast. And a lot of you listen to this podcast and don't listen to the pre-med years. Now, I want to really, really, really encourage you to go listen to the pre-med years because I see it all the time, students focusing too much on grades and MCAT and not enough on the rest of their story and their journey, and they don't get into medical school because of that. And that's where the pre-med years comes in to play. So go listen to the pre-med years. However, you are listening to this podcast just search for the pre-med years, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, however you listen, go listen there. Today, we have another great episode with Phil talking all about the MCAT and more. Phil, back for some more MCAT podcasts. How are you today? Doing great. Got my coffee, as you know. Got your coffee. Got coffee fiend from, from last week's episode. <laughs> Hopefully, you're less than 50 cups. Oh yes, I I'm I'm down to less than less than ten. I'm in the single digit okay. cups of coffee. That's so. great. All right. Yeah. So I want to continue our kind of look at this double AMC outline. Uh, last week we covered six B, I believe. This week we got six C. Uh, again, if you just Google double AMC uh, MCAT outline or content outline, you'll you'll find a link to this on the double AMC site. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. What uh, kind of fun, interesting, uh, maybe fun and interesting aren't the right words, but maybe confusing and stress inducing. Uh, aspects of the MCATs can we find in 6C? Yeah, I love that you mentioned stress in there because stress is in 6C. Uh, there so we this go. This is where we have what's going on with um, the nature of stress and kind of what's going on, like big picture, mm. um, as well as there's some stuff about emotion in 6C. And, you know, despite all of our attempts to become Spock and be emotionless automatons, um, emotion is a big part of the experience of humanity. And so 
the MCAT's going to test you on this and like your knowledge of emotion. They're not going to test if you have the appropriate emotions in certain scenarios, although maybe the MCAT should start to test some of those things. <laughs> um, but they are going to test like how well do you understand theories of emotion and how that interacts with physiologic responses. Obviously something that makes sense that the, you know, a doctor would care about. Yep. So let's talk about them. Yeah. So we'll start with the emotion side of things because in the AAMC outline that comes before stress. So it turns out that what most people would assume is happening with this kind of like fight or flight response and emotional fear response. Most people would think that the emotion occurs first and I feel afraid and that causes my sympathetics to activate. And turns out that's not necessarily the case. It turns out it's a little bit more complex than that because they can measure the conductance of your skin, which your sympathetics affect, and they can also measure what's going on in different regions of your brain with like fMRIs and PET scans and EEGs and things like that. And what they found is that the emotion doesn't always come before the physiologic response. As a matter of fact, sometimes the physiologic response occurs first. And this kind of breaks the idea of, you know, the emotions cause the physiologic response. And so we, we kind of like this, like shattered people's understanding of the emotion and physiologic tie. And so we had some people come together and start to, you know, propose what's actually going on. And so we have three different groups. We have James Lang. And so these are two scientists who came up with a theory. We have Cannon Bard, and we have Schachter Singer. So it's James Lang, Cannonbard, Schachter Singer is the three theories of emotion and how this ties to physio physiology. So James Lang just flipped the script and they're just like, well, you must have a physiologic response. And then that causes the emotional response. So the spider lands on your nose, that activates your sympathetics, your pupils dilate, all that stuff, and that causes fear. So it's actually, you know, the physiologic response causing the emotional rather than vice versa. Mm. It's probably the simplest one. Um, and it was the first one that kind of was proposed after this. And it got kind of tweaked by some of these people coming later. Mm. And so Canon Bard came in and said, no, we, we think that the stimulus causes both the physiologic and the emotional response. So the spider on your nose causes fear and it causes sympathetic activation. But neither of those things cause each other. And so I always like to think of barred both, right? So like the stimulus causes both experiences, the physiologic and the emotional experience. And then Schachter Singer comes along and they kind of start to adapt the James Lang theory. So the idea here is that we have um, this sort of like stimulus, like so whatever the scary scenario is, a bear chasing you, you know, a spider on your nose or you, the girl you have a crush on sitting next to you. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> um, and so with the Schachter Singer thing, you have this, this stimulus that causes a physiologic response, just like James Lang. Mm. But then there's, they build some room in here for this cognitive appraisal where you can be like, you know, you wake up, the spider's on your nose. This causes the physiologic response. And then you remember like, oh, no, this is my friend, Steve, the spider. Like, we're good buddies. We, we go a long time back. And so I'm not actually afraid. Even though I get that sympathetic response, my heart beats faster and like things going on there. So Dr. Singer actually builds in room kind of explaining what's going on with like roller coasters and things like that. Like normally like heights and like high speeds makes you makes you afraid because it's dangerous. But you know that you're safe. And so you're not actually afraid, even though you do have like the heightened heart rate and the pupil dilation and the flushing of skin and all of these things that are actually the physiologic response of fear without the emotional 
aspect of it. And so you, you might not actually be afraid or you might be afraid if you're actually just afraid of roller coasters. Yeah. But there's there's this kind of like room for cognitive appraisal where you can start to kind of like think about what's going on there. Okay. So something you mentioned last week was really not just going through these big uh, outlines where where students have already done this and you're just reading them, but actually going through this and thinking about, okay, how potentially will I see a question that's going to test my knowledge of this? So using this example where we have these three theories that students are very likely to potentially confuse or forget about, how do we how do we start to to kind of ingrain this by by thinking about how it's going to be tested? Yeah. And so one of the things that's a little bit tricky is like, what exactly is causing what? And so if the MCAT's going to test something with these theories, that's that's what they're going to test. And so one of my favorite go-to examples of this, let's create a scenario because stories are always the best way to remember anything. Um, so let's say we got little Billy who is um, allergic to bee stings and he's been stung by a bee for the 14th time <laughs> this week. Um, he really needs to get a new hobby other than beekeeping. <laughs> And so Billy comes to the hospital again. You know, he comes in. I'm like, oh, this is the third time today. Good to see you again, Billy. And I give him a shot of epinephrine. Mm. So the the epinephrine. So first off, Billy is is like he's not afraid of needles, right? He's pretty used to needles at this point. He's he's getting stabbed with both bee stingers and needles on a regular basis. He's fine with it. Um, he also knows that he's going to be getting better because. This is the third time today he's had this happen. And so he's not necessarily afraid for his life or anything kind of in that scenario. So the question becomes, under which of these theories will the shot of epinephrine cause him to feel fear? And so what's tricky about this is that epinephrine causes the sympathetic response, mm -hmm. right? It's adrenaline, right? It's the fight or flight thing going on there. And so... So basically, this question is a very complex way to ask in what ways, like in what scenarios will a physiologic response cause an emotional response, mm -hmm. right? Because they're asking, like, will, will the shot of epinephrine cause fear? Yeah. And it gets kind of confusing because lots of people are afraid of bees and bee stings, and this guy should be afraid of bee stings. But the question kind of says, like, oh, this happens all the time. He's fine with it. <laughs> um, and so under the James Lang theory, the sh like the we have the physiologic response causes the emotional response. And so the shot of epinephrine is going to cause him to feel fear, even though he knows he's going to be fine, because there's no room for cognitive appraisal in James Lang's theory, just like a physiologic response causes the emotional response. Mm. Versus Cannon Bard, we have some scary stimulus causes the physiologic response and the emotional response, right? Like Bard does both. So like one stimulus causes both things to happen. And so the epinephrine is just a jump start to the physiologic response. And that's not going to lead to the emotional response because like it doesn't lead to the emotional response under Cannon Bard. And so under James Lang theory, little Billy's going to be afraid under Cannon Bard's. He's not going to be yeah. under Shocker Singer. We have this room for cognitive appraisal. And so the physiologic response can lead to fear if he cognitively, you know, is like rationalizing through this and like, Oh, I should feel fear. Hmm. And in this case, he knows he's going to be fine. And so cognitively, he's not going to be afraid, even though the physiologic response is occurring. And so the physiology happens, he cognitively appraises that, oh, this isn't something to be afraid of. And then he like doesn't feel the emotion of fear. Now, if it's the first time this has ever happened to him, like he's probably going to be panicking. 
right? Because cognitively, he's like, I'm in a scary hospital room, stuff's happening to my body, I'm completely unaware of what's going on, right? And that's like, he, like, there's reason to be afraid in that case. And so, Shocker Singer is one of the more complex ones where you have to be kind of careful because of this cognitive appraisal. And so what's going on within the, the psyche of the patient is actually gonna cause a difference in whether or not the emotion is actually experienced. So I think this is a good example. Obviously these three, right? Talking about the, mm-hmm. this fear, the emotions is a good example. And I don't know if all of them can be fit into this, but really going through where there are these potential kind of definitions that are are easy to get confused and how do we figure this out other than just memorizing all of them, but how do we actually understand? And it sounds like one of the better ways to try to go through this is looking at, in this case, right, we have these three different theories. And mm-hmm. really, instead of just trying to memorize all three theories, going, okay, what separates these three theories, right? Yeah. And, and and you kept going back to, okay, what is causing what, right? It, it's kind mm-hmm. of the basis for each of these three theories. And I think potentially if students can go, okay, there are these three theories here, there are these four things over here, there's two over here, like what separates them and, and understanding what separates them, they that will then help the student kind of lead them to, okay, if if I can understand what separates these two things or three things or whatever, then this is a potential way that it's going to be asked on a test because the test is going to understand my ability to separate these things. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can get down that path, then I have a much better understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, that really hits the nail on the head in terms of MCAT studying, right? This is, that's something that I talk about all the time with my students. Like they're not going to ask you like what hormone lowers blood sugar, insulin, Texas, scuba gear, turtles, right? Like the answer is obviously insulin, right? Because the other ones. <laughs> Darn it. Turtles. Are not, I yeah. Turtles. Oh, I thought it was turtles, right? I thought it was Texas. You pet a turtle. I thought uh, pets are good for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they're going to, they're going to try to ask things where they know students can get kind of confused and like the James Lane Cannonbar Shocker Singer. Absolutely. But just kind of focusing in on the differences is huge. A lot of times when I have students asking about, like, I know this is kind of going into bio, but like, what do I need to be able to deal with, with meiosis and mitosis? I'm like, all right, the, the biggest things you need to focus on are what are the differences between them? So in meiosis one, separating the homologous pairs instead of the sister chromatids we have crossing over occurring right we end up with haploid cells at the end right like those are the things you really need to pull apart not exactly like don't don't like toss and turn on like you know what what are all of the things that happen in prophase and like yes you maybe need to know those but the mcat is going to be asking you on the complex stuff the things that are kind of confusing like the differences between prokaryote and eukaryote transcription and translation the difference between meiosis one and meiosis two or mitosis and meiosis or james lang cannonbard shocker singer like what are the differences between these because that's what they're going to ask questions about yeah okay so i think that's super important um okay any other really big ones out of 6c yeah so the other stuff is stress no there's no stress that's yeah yeah everyone's yeah there's there's no way that mcat and stress can ever be paired together in any form um (laughs) so stress is kind of interesting you know talking about the like fight or flight thing that's more the short-term stress response right like turns out if a you know bear's attacking him it's a little bit stressful (laughs) um 
But there's also long-term stress. And this is a little bit different, right? This is like, I don't have enough money for rent chronically, right? Or the MCAT is coming up and I'm like dealing with this, right? And that's a different sort of stressor. It's a long-term stressor versus a short-term stressor. Now, one of the interesting things about stress, and the MCAT likes to go into, once again, differences. Um, for, so one example, that would be you stress versus distress. So I think a lot of people think that stress is bad, right? Stress isn't always bad. Stress is one of the things that kind of like drives you to accomplish things, right? Like at least at, at some point, go like becoming a doctor is something, yeah, it's stressful, but like you want to do it, right? Like this is something that is kind of a, a good stressor on my life, at least in at some points. Everyone at some point feels like, oh, this is the worst thing in the world. Why am I doing this? Mm. Um, but like there are some good stress that kind of comes to this. Um, and something that's really interesting is how you respond to that stress actually has a lot to do with what's going on inside your head, right? Not to get all stoic philosophical on you. Um, but like, let's imagine that me and my brother live together and my parents were coming to visit, right? I might be super amped about this, right? Like, yeah, it's great. I haven't seen my mom in like a couple of weeks. It'd be great to see her. And you know, like, maybe she'll cook some spaghetti, like my favorite deal. That'll be, that'll be awesome. Uh, and then my brother, on the other hand, is like, oh God, we have to clean. This is going to be awful. Like I have so much stuff to do. And so for me, my family coming is a stressor, And for my brother, it's a distressor. And a lot of what makes something you stress versus distress is this kind of like psychological appraisal, kind of like going back to the Shakhtar Singer stuff. Um, this like, you know, cognitive appraisal of like, how do you feel about things? So sometimes changing your perspective changes, not just how you feel about this, but also some stuff with the physiology, right? Because distressors tend to release cortisol. And so cortisol has a lot of very interesting things going on with this. Um, I like to talk. So Evolutionarily speaking, a like a caveman is not stressed out because he has to take the MCAT, right? Like the a caveman is not stressed out because um, you know taxes are due or rent is late, right? Like rent on the cave is too high, and I'm really having a hard time like <laughs> making ends meet. Um, they want 15 buffalo hooves for for this month's rent. Um, what stresses out a caveman in terms of long term stressor is food, like getting enough food. Mm. And so the like cortisol kind of evolved to be something related to this kind of like stress response um, and like of not having enough food. So when you have cortisol release, it makes you hungry because it causes that's going to like make you eat more food. Um, it also causes you to release glucose into your blood, raising your blood sugar, which is something you need if you're starving. It also causes you to increase fat deposition to kind of like store fat, mostly in the central body. Um, cause like if you're starving to death and it's cold out, like, you know, if your fingers freeze and fall off, that's more okay than if my liver freezes and falls off. Right. And so I need to insulate my central body. Um, it also causes you to be tired to conserve energy, and it also causes your immune system to be suppressed. And so cortisol has all of these interesting things that make sense if you're starving to death. If you are stressed out about the MCAT, it kind of doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> tired, you're getting sick, right? Like you're gaining weight, you're hungry all the time, right? And like just exhausted and just, you know, you like wake up from a nap and shove some donuts in your mouth and then go back to sleep. And then you wake up and you have a cold, right? This is what's going on with, with this. And this is actually something 
I was just talking to uh, Ryan about before this about like I'm actually a little bit under the weather, been fighting off a viral thing because of like some outside stressors. Um, and I know it's cortisol. I always got like kind of like sick during finals and that sort of thing. Um, during med school, I feel like <laughs> and one out of any five days, I was probably fighting off something. Um, and that was just because the the distress yep. and kind of dealing with this. Um, and like changing your perspective on this is kind of important because you can go you stress rather than distress and like realizing that like, oh, I'm actually making good progress. So instead of looking like, oh, at, like I need to have all of this known by this test date, look back and be like, oh, look at all the stuff that I've accomplished, right? And then you feel good about it. And it's like less kind of like uh, less of a distressor. Mm. Um, cortisol also, very interesting, affects memory. And so they've shown in multiple experiments that cortisol impacts the hippocampus, which is the region of your brain dealing with a lot of long-term memory, um, you know, memorizing facts. It actually suppresses this. And like kids who grow up in stressful scenarios actually have a smaller hippocampus. And so they have a harder time with memory. And so this is also another thing that like students are like, wait a minute. So studying for the MCAT is stressing me out and that's making it harder for me to learn, right? Like that's, this is like the worst thing. It's like a positive feedback loop, right? Like the more I study for the MCAT, the less I can remember. Um, and so you kind of need to like be aware of these things and be aware of the effect of cortisol. And this is something that I think students don't think that much about. But not only, this is another example of one of the things that is the MCAT is going to test this knowledge. And it's useful to know, like as you're studying for the MCAT, which is why I like a lot of the psych social stuff, because it's a double whammy of useful on top of important like things to just memorize. And so some of the things that kind of help with cortisol is exercise. That's top of the list, right? If you exercise, you end up, you know, suppressing cortisol. Um, something that was very frustrating for me in med school is all of my my peers, like the top, the top five percent of class, like a, a lot of them were like marathon runners and like in basketball leagues and volleyball <laughs> leagues. And I'm like, how do they have time for all of this stuff? Uh -huh. But really the exercise is what made them better at learning. Um, and I actually got my dog Millie, uh Milliken is her name, named after the discoverer of the electron. Oh, not uh, not named after Millie Vanilli. No, no, not Vanilli, uh, Milliken. Okay. I, I wanted to get three Great Danes, Rutherford, Thompson, and Milliken, <laughs> and it'd be Ruth, Millie, and Tom. But then I decided that three Great Danes is probably too much. Um, yeah. So when I got Millie, I was actually in med school, and a part of me was like a little bit stressed, like I probably shouldn't get a dog when I'm in med school. But my grades started going up because I was taking her for walks. Yep. And I started to get that exercise, and like my, I started to do better, and like it was just because I was locking myself down in the basement cave and just with stacks of books around and stressing out. Yeah. Um, and so even though I was spending more time studying, it was less effective because the yeah. cortisol was kind of pushing things down. This is, um, I, I tell students all the time, I'm like, you, you need to break up your MCAT studying. They're like, I'm not going to do anything but MCAT prep. I'm like, no, like go, <laughs> yeah. go take a break and work on your personal statement. Go, go take a break and get some shadowing, some clinical experience and obviously go exercise um, right. because it, yeah. it will help in the end. Yes. It's taking time away, but the time that you have left will be more effective. Yeah. And there, there's some operant conditioning going on there with students, like as they are studying for like their orgo test, like the way that they need to study for their orgo test is the week of the test. They do nothing else. And like, that's all they do, but it's, 
that that kind of works a little bit better on that short term thing. If you're studying for four months, you cannot do that. You cannot go hardcore nonstop for four months because yeah. you're going to get burnt out. And you're going to hate yourself and you're going to everything's going to be awful and you're going to be worse at learning. Um, and that's something kind of important to to keep in mind. Yeah. So hard. Okay. So stress sucks, basically. Yeah. Well, you distress <laughs> sucks. Distress. Uh, sucks, if, yes. if you have a lot of distress, switch to you stress. Just kind of like <laughs> change, change your perspective on it and be like, all right, you know, I'm I'm making progress. This is looking good. You know, I'm I'm I've learned magnetism, right? I've crossed something off the list. And so then you feel better about the time that you're spending studying instead of constantly like building up this this mountain of stuff that like I still have yet to do. Um, so this is why it's really important to kind of like build a schedule. And yeah. and have an idea of like, okay, this is what I'm doing on this day instead of just like constantly like, you know, obsessing over like this is this pile of information that I need to to learn and like, you know, like this looming mountain. Um, <laughs> instead, think about like, okay, well, this is what I have to do today. And then once you're done with that, you feel great because like I did it. I accomplished it. You get the dopamine feedback loop, your cortisol drops, you feel better um, and everything gets better. You end up less less sick. Yeah. Than 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 I am right now. So this viral thing. The the saying turn that frown upside down should really be turn that distress into you stress. Yes. Yeah. That that maybe doesn't doesn't roll off the tongue as much, but there's something there's so, something going on there. <laughs> sounds like a t-shirt I need to make. All right. Yeah. Awesome. I, I think that's enough of six uh, C here on the MCAT outline. Oh, so much good stuff in this outline. And and so again, just going through these, understanding each of these terms, and not just memorizing, but okay, what are some of these differences between this uh, this section, and how is the MCAT or how are these MCAT test writers going to ask this? That's that's where you need to go with these. All right, so there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you are looking for some more from Phil specifically, I want you to check out. Next Steps MCAT course. Now, I did a full review of the course at mcatcoursereview.com. That'll take you to my YouTube video of the course. And I truly believe that the Next Step course is the best course that you can take. It obviously has all of the right content that you're going to need to know for the MCATs to just further solidify that foundational knowledge that hopefully you got while you were an undergrad or as you are an undergrad right now. It has access to obviously the best full-length exams outside of the AAMCs, the best full-length exams out of every company. And it gives you live office hours every day or five days a week, every weekday. And you get, you get up to, I think it's 10 hours uh, with the majority of those being with Phil, our amazing co-host here on the podcast. So go check out mcatcoursereview.com to find out more about Next Step's MCAT course. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.